Welcome, Welcome to, to Earworms. Earworms. I'm your co-host, Keegan. And I'm your co-host, Mimi. And this is a podcast for the things that you just can't seem to get out of your head. All right, how are you doing? I am doing well. It's spooky season. We are, the night we're recording this, going to go to some friend's house later and watch some spooky movies. Oh, we're going to watch the new um, Wendell and Wiley movie that Jordan yes. Peele made. Yes. Um, <laughs> depending on how that is, we will let you know in the next one or two episodes. Um, most likely two episodes from now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Um, Speaking of spooky things, <laughs> I have. <laughs> excellent segue. I have a cool, creepy. Um, ghoul. Ghoul to talk about. Yeah, sure. Um, hi, Enrique. Uh, not Enrique. My ca- person I'm speaking about today is Guillermo del Toro. He is a Mexican filmmaker, author, and actor who is probably best known for like directing a lot of movies with um, either stop motion, um, like really hands-on type of stuff, and practical effects. That's kind of like his whole jam, and I'm all about practical effects. I love, yes. I love a good practical effect over uh, CGI, CGI any day. My goodness. Uh, but he's got some really cool stuff. Um, just a little bit about him, and then I just kind of wanted to like reference his movies a bit and like yeah. kind of make people aware of him a bit more because oh, he's got a cool thing on netflix that <laughs> i want to watch tonight uh we'll get to that we'll get to that though oh, um, man. talking about practical effect i just want to share i love practical effect like it can be silly but i really hate it and it we're seeing it a lot more in like modern movies specifically marvel um, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but where the whole movie just doesn't like I don't know. For me, it's harder to get into the movie when it's mainly CGI because it's more obvious in my head that, like, this isn't real and that this isn't, like, a practical world, if that makes sense. Yeah. So <laughs> movies that incorporate practical effect, it's like, oh, like, maybe this could be something. I don't know. I just feel more imaginative with that. Yeah, exactly. And that's, like, his whole vibe and, like, kind of what he wants to do with movies that, like, he helps write, produce, and, like, direct a bit. Um, so speaking of those, let's get into a bit of his work. He has a lot of movies he's worked on. Those are dogs <laughs> <I> snoring. <laughs> you sleepy? That's okay. You could be sleepy. Um, a lot of things he's worked on. Um, a couple of which, like, I'll we can take a detour at any time you want to jump in and like say ah, like give like a cool thing and like or ask a specific of what was like his influence so in a movie. I you don't can. actually know much about Guillermo del Toro. I guess to kind of give us a better idea, could you go into his movies first and then talk about him a little bit? Yes. Okay. Not a problem at all. His movies are as follows. He started off with like low budget Spanish language films such as Kronos and The Devil's Backbone. And then um, he ended up working on things like Blade 2, Hellboy, Hellboy 2. And then this is where I think you'll start recognizing a couple of these names. Uh, Pacific Rim, Pacific oh. Rim 2. Okay. Um, and then the, his most modern stop motion film, Pinocchio, that came out this year. He also is like a writer. So like he helped write things for Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, The Hobbit films, uh the Book of Life, Scary Movies to Tell in the Dark, The Witches, oh, okay. and his most recent Netflix series, Guillermo del Toro's 
cabinet of curiosities, which is just like a collection of classic, his take on a bunch of classic horror movies. He's the one who has like a lot of props in his home, right? Yes, his home is an eclectic mess, but like in the best way possible of uh, growing up, like he always wanted just like, he liked the idea of like having secret passages and tunnels and like just secrets galore in a home. I so he, want a secret tunnel in my home. I do too. He actually went for it though. So his home actually has, he actually has two homes. He has a real home where he lives with like his wife and his two children. And then he has Guillermo del Toro's home where he keeps like all of the movie props that he helped build <laughs> in a separate house. It's like a huge like Adam's Family-esque mansion that's like super gothic and just fantastic and just He's a huge goth nerd, and I love it so much. <laughs> what more is there to be in this life? There, there really isn't much more. Um, but yeah, a lot of his stuff has to do with like connections to either fairy tales and horror, um, with a big fascination on like monsters and like uh, a lot of like the villains and like a lot of the stuff he writes ends up being like um, authoritarian powers and stuff like that. He's extremely against like any form of uh, ownership or like directing other people how to live their lives and stuff like that oh very Uh, like independent yes because he grew up very catholic and he kind of like fell away from that i don't think like i don't want to get into it but like it looks like he didn't really have a good upbringing in that kind of setting so like he tried to like get away from that and it's like his personal experience with his with that church was like not the the best. best so like that gets reflected a lot of the time in, like, his works and shows and things like that. Um, in particular, though, I wanted to point out Pacific Rim. If you don't know the movie, at least go look up, like, the trailer for Pacific Rim or, like, the behind the scenes. And you can see the actors standing in, like, this huge, like, 4D space, like, set that actually moved. And, like, moved with the characters' heads and stuff to, like, show, like, them getting punched and things like that, like, in the giant kaiju robot machines, right? Guillermo del Toro created that little, like, idea of, let's put our actors in this little box that'll actually move with the camera and stuff and make it really immersive, not just for, like, the people watching, but for the actors themselves as well. And we see that reflected in a bunch of other things, like, um, the, um, Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, you see that, like, the rotating rooms and stuff like when he's like taking off his like outfit and things like that like that whole concept is like entirely oh, Guillermo yeah, del Toro. I am looking jam. this up and this looks intense that's cool yeah lots of practical effects really cool really spooky just wanted that's my short earworm for this week was just be aware of Guillermo del Toro fantastic work does cool stuff give his stuff a look just on Netflix like just look it look it up a bit g-u-i-l-l-e-r-m-o del toro (laughs) so what do you have this week for earworm what's Um, your earworm (laughs) so it's kind of silly but i (laughs) um keegan had a cramp in bed the other day and it happened to go (sighs) he happened to get the cramp at the same time that my be real went off so my be real was just like his foot (laughs) yeah i had the worst charlie horse it was on the back of my leg and like my whole leg was just clenched and i couldn't unclench it it hurt so bad at that time i was thinking oh you should drink some pickle juice um but we were literally in bed like the be real went off very late at night and i was not gonna get out of bed because it's cold (laughs) and i was just kind of thinking of pickles and i love pickles and we have a giant like huge 
gallon container pickles in our kitchen because I just love to eat them as a snack. Yeah, um, they're pretty good. <laughs> yeah. So I decided to talk about the history of pickles. Okay, this um, has to be an old topic then, right? <laughs> maybe. Okay. Um, I will go ahead and cite my source. Um, all of my facts are coming from history.com. They actually have a whole page dedicated to the history of pickles. It's captioned the juicy 4,000 year history of pickles. That's right, babes. 4,000 4, years. Year. Alrighty. <laughs> I am ready. Take me on a whirlwind tour through history. Let me just um, pull out some hotshot names who like pickles. Are you ready? I'm ready. Cleopatra, Julius Caesar, Napoleon Bonaparte, the Mesopotamians, and Christopher Columbus. Okay. Everyone likes a pickle. Yeah. Um, pickles got their start. <laughs> their start. Um, they, when they were signed on a contract. When someone <laughs> left a cucumber in salt water for slightly too long. <laughs> <laughs> it was 4,000 years ago. And so the Mesopotamians um, would soak cucumbers in, a, in like an acidic Oh my brine, gosh, I was right. And it was a way to preserve them. <laughs> <laughs> someone so forgot a jar. <laughs> That's good. Um, and so pickles were first brought to America by Christopher Columbus. Um, oh, yeah, he's a sailor. Of course they would have. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they got pickles on the boat. Yeah, <laughs> and he just loved traveling with them. So that's kind of like how um, they got brought to America. And at least in the States, um, Americans eat about 2 million pounds of pickles a year. And I can personally contribute for about... 1.98 million of those pickles. So, yes. <laughs> um, so we're in, keeping the pickle economy afloat single-handedly. single-handedly yeah. Um, in 2400 BC, um, pickling, you know, was a huge method of preserving food because they didn't want things to go to waste. And you gotta, you gotta, if you want to eat, because stuff goes bad in the winter. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so they pickled things. Um. And they just pickled all different types of foods. And, like, archaeologists have actually kind of, like, been able to find some evidence of that. And then a couple centuries later, um, cucumbers that were native to India were pickled in the Tigris Valley. Um, So that's kind of, like, the spread of pickles throughout the world. And then in 50 BC, Cleopatra um, credited that, like, the re... um, Like, her beauty and health came from pickles because she ate pickles in her diet. Okay, but... That one doesn't seem like it's traceable. Is like, do we have an actual written account of that? Because that's a testimonial from Cleopatra herself. Was that written, or was that just like someone wrote in their journal? My queen said she looks divine because of the pickles type of thing in hieroglyphs. Um, I am not sure. Like I said, I am just going from history.com. Um, oh, good. So <laughs> depends on how credible history.com is. Um, and Cleopatra's lover, Julius Caesar, um... She got him hooked on the pickles. Yeah, he got hooked on the pickles, and he would give it to his troops, um, because they had the belief that pickles would make the troops stronger. I mean, I get that pickle strength. I I eat a good pickle, drink some of that brine, and I just got... I got the strength to go walk the dog suddenly. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, so they were just pickling cucumbers, and then in 980, Dill... Like, you know, the herb used to pickle cucumbers yeah. and some other vegetables. Hence, we um, get dill pickles. Yeah, arrived in Western Europe um, from Sumatera around that kind of time. Um, so that's kind of just an interesting thing there. And then we get to a little bit more modern time. 19, or no, no, we didn't. 
I, I thought 1942. This is 1492. Wrong year. <laughs> um... During the Age of Exploration, you have to remember, there were a lot of sailors. And sailors, what did they have an issue of getting? Salt. No, wait, vitamins. They're vitamin C's and, like, D's and calcium. And what happened because they had that deficiency? Scurvy! Scurvy all the day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so they would ration out pickles to the sailors to, you know, kind of help them out with that and give them some more vitamins. Um, and... He, Christopher Columbus um, kind of went as far to grow. That's my goodness. Her <laughs> babies passed out. Um, went as far to kind of grow cu- cucumbers in Haiti to restock. Um, and so that. Gotta have my pickle. <laughs> <laughs> and there is another explorer whose name was Armigo, Vis- Armigo Vespucci. Vespucci. Armigo Vespucci. Um, and he worked as a ship's. Chandler in Seville, Spain, um, and he was known as the pickle dealer <laughs> um, since he helped stock Columbus's um, ships. That's good. That's a good nickname to give someone. Yeah, and I don't want to go too into it just because this is about 4,000 years of history, so I'm just going to kind of quick pace go through the next little bit. In 1659, um, Dutch farmers in New York began growing cucumbers in the area and dealers would kind of, you know, turn those cucumbers into pickles. Yeah. Um, I'll just bring up this Napoleon thing since I did mention him at the beginning. Um, Napoleon Bonaparte offered to pay 1,200 francs. Guess how much that is in modern day money? I don't know. $2,000? A little bit more. $2 million? A little bit less. Uh, $8,000. All right. Um, that's the equivalent of $250,000. Oof, oof. And he offered to pay that to the person who could come up with the best way to pickle and preserve food for the troops. Um, so in 1809, Nicholas Opper, a French chef, chef and confectioner, um, won the competition, um, by kind of like creating the official method of pickling, which is, you know, placing food in a bottle, removing the air, sealing it, and, um... That's cool. Yeah, and like boiling the bottle to preserve its contents. His name one more time. Nicholas Appert. I know in French they don't like really yeah. pronounce like Appert. the heart. Appert. I think it would be Appert. Nicolas Appert. Well, Nicholas Appert, thank you for that, man. I love our vacuum seal technology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, pickles have just kind of been all around through history. Um, there's pickles in the. Um, in 1893, Chicago's World Fair had a pickle king. Yeah. Um, so that's just fun there. Um, I know my topic for next time, maybe. <laughs> the pickle king. <laughs> in World War II, the U.S. government rationed pickles, and 40% of the nation's production of pickles went to the armed forces. Nice. Um, so that's pretty cool. And then just most recently in 2000, um, Okay, yeah. And most recently in 2000, the Dallas Cowboys, um, wait, no. Most recently in 2000, the, um, the Philadelphia Eagles football team beat the Dallas Cowboys 41 to 14. <laughs> Pretty bad loss. Yeah. Um, and they credit it to pickle juice. And that's when Brigham Young University, um, kind of researched and found that pickles help relieve, leave, relieve cramps 45% faster. Wow, that's cool. Sick. Yeah. (laughs) 
Pickles, who knew? Eat them. I didn't know that they had such like a lengthy history. And like, yeah. I did skip over some things since I didn't want to be here for ages. But yeah. Pickles. Pickles and Guillermo del Toro. You got your homework. Go eat a pickle and watch Pinocchio. <laughs> and with that, I think we're going to end it for this week. From all of us here at Earworm to you guys, Bye bye And happy Halloween. Happy Halloween.